chapter a day. It takes a few minutes. And as I said before, if you read each chapter of Proverbs once each day through the month, at the end of the year, you'll have read every chapter 12 times. You can't tell me that that won't change your life, because it will change mine. So I'm going to read these first four verses. You can follow along on the overhead, or if you have a personal Bible. Again, I'm using the Bible that Moses brought down from Mount Horeb, the NASB. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so... Jude chapter 1. Jude, a slave, a doulos, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, writing to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, there's that term of affection where he really cares. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly people who turn the grace, now look at this, who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And 5 and 6, I'll read them. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. There's a great day coming, church. So here's some questions. How, how can you and I tell if a person is a true follower of Christ? What's the evidence that we would see? What's the fruit? What do we look for? You know, we ask the questions, can a Christian who was born again lose her salvation? Can a Christian fall from grace and lose his salvation? Absolutely not. And we're going to back that up with Scripture this morning. Look at uh, slide 4 and 5. I, I want you to see what a really great theologian, William Barclay, says about this. He says, Now in this life, or in life, it is a fact of experience that there are two kinds of sinners. <clears throat> So long as a man in his heart of hearts hates sin, hates himself for sinning, so long as he knows that he is sinning, he's never beyond repentance and therefore never beyond forgiveness. But once a man begins to revel in his sin and makes sin the deliberate policy of his life, and he loses all sense of terror and awfulness of sin, and also, the feeling of disgust, he's on his way to death. For he is on the way to a state where the idea of repentance will not and cannot enter his head. Slide 5. The sin unto death is the state of a man who has listened to sin so often and refused to listen to God so often <clears throat> that he has come to a state where he loves his sin. And when he regards sin as the most profitable thing in the world. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? 
So John has written this letter to encourage those who are already true followers of Christ. But June begins this letter with a picture of what a true follower of Christ looks like. So let's unpack this. Slide 6. Jude 1. Jude, a bondservant, that's the word doulos, or slave, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is the brother of James. He's writing to those who are called or chosen, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Do you see that word there? Kept for Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So I want us to notice some words here that Jude uses. Notice that he writes, to those who are called. That word called is an important word in the Greek text here. The Greek word used there is the word kletois. The word actually not only means to call, but the word as it is used here means to appoint. So the idea here is that of a person who is personally chosen or selected. Kletois. So Jude is speaking of God's internal call whereby God, as the King James says, quickens or awakens the sinner. And God gives the dead sinner new spiritual life and a new nature, which then enables that sinner to embrace the gospel. It is God, church, and only God alone who can breathe life into dead sinners and then call the sinner to himself. Only God can do that. No prophet, priest, or king can do that. Only God can do that. So then the idea here is that being a Christian is a result of God's grace reaching out to bring lost, helpless sinners into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So hear me this morning. It is God that does the choosing because He is sovereign. God calls, and God speaks life into dead sinners who then come to life. He also calls, molding you and I to be able to serve Christ here and now. And there are three verbs that Jews uses in the first two verses. Slide 7. Called, that's kletois, or chosen, or appointed. Beloved, agape menois. And then kept. So let me kind of unpack this. So called, we just learned about that. God is the one that calls a person out of unbelief. He's the one that calls people out of darkness into his light. Then he says, beloved, the agape menois. And of course, agape is the most highest form of love. That is unconditional love. Agape love means that I am not loving you based on your performance. It's an act of the will. Very important that you understand that. There's no conditions in agape toy. doesn't matter how filthy, rotten of a sinner you are. God's the one that calls you. He's the one that chooses you and makes you alive. So when you hear the gospel, you can repent and believe the gospel. And then he uses the word kept. So agape moise, you know, unconditional love. By the way, that word agape menois is actually in the perfect tense in the Greek. Well, what's that, Pastor Jack? Well, I'm so glad you asked. See, the perfect tense in the Greek has an idea of an action that was complete in the past when he drew you out of darkness into his light and saved you. And now that has ongoing, continuous results in your present-day walk. Now, I want you to think about how incredible that is, church. God, from all eternity past, had already chosen to love you and I 
well before he decided to create you and I. Well, where's it say that, Pastor Jack? I'm glad you're awake and you asked again. Slide 8. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Just as he chose us, literally appointed us or picked us out for himself in Christ before, what does it say, the foundation of the world, that you and I would be holy, literally hagiosmos, set apart and blameless before him. In love, he predestined, he decided and determined beforehand for us to be adopted as sons and, of course, daughters through, how are we adopted? Through what Christ has done and to himself, and that is according to the kind intention of your will? Oh, his will. So that word chose is an important word here. Ek logemae. Ek is where we get that word exit from. Every time you look at that exit sign, you guys can tell people you know you're Greek. See that? That's the word ek. That means out of. Logome means to select or choose. So ek logome means to select or choose out of for himself. I don't think it gets much clearer here in the scripture. But the text tells us that God chose for himself before the foundation of the world and determined beforehand whom he would adopt for himself in love. And one of my all-time favorite authors, Dr. Steve Lawson, this is slide 10 and 11, says this. God the Father chose a people for himself to be worshipers of his glory by becoming the objects of his grace. You are an object of his grace, church. As an expression of his infinite love for his son, the father gave his elected to Christ as a love gift. Just think about that. If you're saved, you're a love gift to Christ. I often look at that and ask, what kind of gift am I? A people who would praise him forever and ever. Do we do that, church? The father then commissioned his son to come into the world in order to redeem these chosen ones through his sacrificial death. The Father, along with the Son, also sent the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, into the world to apply that saving work of Christ to the same group of sinners, elect sinners. Slide 11. The vast number of redeemed saints, those elected by God, purchased by Christ, called by the Holy Spirit, will never fall from grace. God's love for us was manifested or revealed in the past and continues, perfect tense, into the present. Love then is a product of our being in koinonia or fellowship with the Father. Verse twelve or slide twelve, he then says kept to terraminois. Kept has the idea of guarding from loss, preserving Keeping an eye on, a watchful eye on. That's guarding. What do guards do? They keep an eye on something. So that teteromanois means to guard from loss, preserving, keeping an eye on. Jude knows that the Father has made it clear that he keeps believers secure for all eternity. Well, where does it say that? I'm glad you asked again. Slide 13. How about John 10, 27 and 28? Now look at this and read it carefully. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. By the way, that word there, epinosis, I intimately, intimately, thoroughly, completely know them. 
And they follow me, meaning they not only follow me, but they walk in obedience with me. I give eternal life to them. They will what? They will never perish. And look at the last part. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I'm just telling you what the text says. By the way, that word never in the Greek, the, the word is ame, as it is used here, is actually what we call a double negative. It's, it, it's strengthening the desire that means absolutely never, never will anyone ever be able to snatch you out of my hand. That's that power, that double negative there. Church, what does that mean for you and I? There's no power, nor any person, nor any angel or demon in the universe that can break the loving grip that God has on you. And yet, why do we doubt? Is it because we don't spend enough time in the Word digesting the Scriptures into our heart that we doubt? This is, again, why I don't believe that a person whom God has saved could ever lose his salvation because he keeps his eye on us. He guards us. He protects us. So then, church, here's something else. It should be no shock or bewilderment that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, that you and I will go through many trials and struggles as well as temptations and many attacks from Satan. But God has promised you and I in his word to watch over us, to keep an eye on us every moment, and to preserve you and I for his son, Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to something else. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy, peace, and love. Look at those three important provisions that are needed by Christians who are daily living in a society that only wants pleasure, heeding on, with no restraints, no accountability, a society where false teaching seems to be everywhere. I need the provision of mercy, peace, and love from the Lord to be multiplied to me. So let's look at this. God's mercy does what? It will sustain us. Church is peace. That's the opposite of hostility. The Greek word there is irene. The peace can calm us when evil reels its ugly head and his agape love can give you and I the insurance that we need in him as we face hardships. The problem is when we become silent, we get cataracts on our eyes because we start looking for blessings and help outside of Christ instead of looking at his mercy and peace be multiplied to us. I want you to consider what the writer of Hebrews says, slide 14. He says, therefore, let us draw near. How? Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. What is the throne of grace? The throne of God's unmerited favor to you and I who are sinners. Let us draw near, not run away, or hide, draw near, not only draw near, but draw near with confidence to that throne of grace. Okay, that throne of God's unmerited favor to sinners. Why? So that we may receive mercy, find grace, and help in time of need. So he says, let us draw near. Prosercome. That means to approach with consent and confidence. That word pros is what we, Dr. Carter and I often, the prostantheon, 
is what we also taught. And the, and the Word was good, with God, and the Word was God. God the Father, God the Son, the Word is pros, constantly facing each other, drawing near each other. That's the same word used here with prosukame. Okay? We can face and approach God with confidence. And the idea in the Greek here is that we should continually keep on coming with confidence that our high priest, Jesus Christ, hears us. So this throne of grace is the mercy seat where true followers of Christ can continue to receive help when the trials and difficulties come at us. We have to get in and develop the habit and discipline when things get really bad that we don't run and hide and we start blaming God and putting God on trial. God, if you love me, you would have done this, 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 that, and the other the way I wanted it done. Not that any of you ever do that. But God's telling you how to do it to get the blessing from him. Not the way you want it, the way he wants it. And listen, God will often have these problems happen to bring us to the end of ourselves where we start to look at him instead of the world. So that's what he's talking about here. A place where Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father and he's continually interceding for us. And then he finishes up with slide 15, help in time of need. It's interesting, that word help. Boethia. It's actually a nautical term. And I'm like, what's a nautical term doing in this part of the text? It's actually a nautical term. It has the idea of this rope that is used to secure a sail to the boat and to bring aid. So there's a securing feature of help. Okay, so you think of a rope that keeps a sail from knocking people off the boat. It's secured to the ship so that it doesn't do it. So it's a nautical term. So what does that mean? You and I, with confidence and complete assurance, can approach the throne of God's grace and we can receive God's sustaining mercy and security when things can seem hopeless. When things are hopeless... We need to be looking to Him, church. Ask yourself, do you at times feel hopeless when things are going really bad? Hear me this morning. The nice thing about this, you can come at any time. God doesn't have an open for business sign on the door with closing hours. He's not there from 9 to 5 and then from 6 to the next day, He's off. You can go at any time because He's always there to help you. So it is here in Christ that you receive all the power and grace needed when you're going through a crisis. So what does Paul have to say about that? Slide 16. Romans 8, 38 39. Paul says this. <clears throat> now he's been beaten, stoned, you know, shipwrecked, everything. But he says, I'm convinced. I'm sure beyond a doubt, meaning he's convinced, that neither death or life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, depth, nor any other created thing will be able to what? Separate us from the agape of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when you read this and you still doubt and you still blame God and get upset, you have to ask yourself, what's, what's hijacking my heart that when I read that, I don't believe it? And if I believe it, doesn't that presuppose that I should start acting upon that belief? 
What would be different in your life and my life if we actually took the Word of God and applied it the way it's supposed to be applied? What would be different when the trials come? When our life is shipwrecked and things are bad and God is still on the throne? And we have to stop looking at the life here. We're going to live forever. Your body's going to die. It's going to go back to the dust. And the bottom line is your spirit's going to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So we're here a short time, but we act like we're here forever. Of course, when you're 18, 20, or 30, you think you're going to live forever. When you get my age, you start realizing <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> Lord have mercy. So, church, if Paul's convinced... And he's been through a lot. How about you and I? Jude now begins to warn his fellow brothers and sisters of Christ of these pseudo-didascaleas, meaning these false teachers that were making their way into the church to destroy the church. <clears throat> and he wants them to be vigilant, meaning alert and watchful of all of the danger that surrounds them. So look at slide 17, Jude 3 and 4. Beloved, there's that agape toy again. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing to you, that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. I don't want to gloss over that. Let me read that again. I want to make sure that you soak that in. I felt, it necessary, necess felt the necessity to write to you appealing. Very strong word there, appealing. Really, you can almost feel the emotion in, in Jude as he's penning this. He's appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saint. Are you a saint? Why? Why? Certain people have crept in unnoticed. Those who long beforehand, oh, boy, I could spend an hour on that, but I'll leave that alone for now. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condensation, ungodly people, people who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Church, I want you to see the urgency and the emotion as Jude penned this letter with the strong sense of urgency. He's, he's giving this very emotional call, this plea for action. Not spending 17 hours a day watching TV and the 3,450th episode of Law and Order and CSI and all that. No, no, he, he's talking about an emotional plea. He's talking about making sure you're equipped to do this. Why? Well, back in his day, even more so now in our day, serious circumstances has arisen which demanded immediate attention. And that's just as true right now today. So Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith. That word contend is where we get the word agonized from or struggling. It's a very strong word. It, has, it refers to the exertion of an athlete. The agony, the agonizing over it. See, Jude isn't simply just telling his readers to resist the false teachers' perversion of Christian faith. No, he's telling us to passionately defend it. He wants you and I to diligently defend the truth 
that false teachers today are trying to destroy. Slide 19. So here's some sobering questions. And this is for you, between you and God. Do we spend enough time studying God's word so that we're able to defend it when we hear false teaching? Now think clearly about that. There's a lot of cults out there that deny the deity of Christ. Cults that teach that Jesus and Satan were brothers, that Jesus was just the archangel Michael, which is all a lie from the pit of hell. Could you be able, would you be able, when they hit you with all the fancy talk, would you be able to defend the faith? And the only way that happens is if you feed on the nectar of God's word, study it out yourself, so that when you hear this, you can say, well, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible teaches. And here's the other thing. The Bible must be the final authority in your life in all matters of life, faith, and practice. There's nothing above Scripture. Please understand that. The Bible is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. That's God's infallible, inspired, inerrant word written for you and I. So do we spend enough time studying it, feeding on it, digesting it, so we can defend truth when we hear false teaching? Could we protect our local church when someone brings heresy into it? That's very important because it just can't be Pastor Carter and me. You too have that responsibility. He's not writing this. He's not just saying, oh, pastors and elders. This is to all of us. He says, certain men have crept in unnoticed. That, that word crept has the idea of coming in in stealth mode. See, the false teachers will pursue their agenda and they'll come in under the radar by stealth. They kind of slip their way in. And these ungodly men, as Jude says here, attempt to hide their dark purpose. They try to come in unnoticed, as the text says. And there are two character traits that identify these false teachers back in Jude's day and very much today. First, they pervert God's grace. How? Well, back in that day, they tried to teach that God did not create flesh, so it was okay to give in to any fleshly desire you wanted. That's what they were trying to come in church. Well, you know, God didn't create flesh. Jude uses this word licentiousness. I like the word hedonon. This word has the idea of a readiness for all and any sinful pleasure without any restraint. Any sick, sinful perversion was A-OK. Isn't that true today? Don't we see that garbage happening today? And the second thing, they deny the person and authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. Well, where else will we find this? Because we want Scripture to validate Scripture. Look at slide 20. 2 John 1.7. John writing his second letter. He says, listen, many deceivers, many imposters and seducers, these people have gone out into the world, and these are people who do not acknowledge or confess or admit that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. This is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Look at slide 21 and 22. Let me read the rest. <clears throat> 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe, do not trust and rely on every spirit, but test, discern, examine the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many pseudoprophetes, many false prophets, have gone out into the world. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, what is that? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit, slide 22, that does not confess, homagaleo, say the same thing that God says, does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. Wow. Even the most casual Christian should be able to see that that's happened. Antichrist simply means against Christ. There is the Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist is anyone that is against Christ, that denies that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Son of God, who from all eternity past has always been with the Father. In slide 23, Matthew 7, verse 15, um, Jesus says, Beware of the pseudo-prophetes, of these false prophets who come to you. They're kind of masquerading and dressed in sheep's clothing. They, they come in like that, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Church, listen. You and I, here in 2023, are living in a day where many Christians do not get excited about biblical truth anymore. Many of them don't spend any time in the Bible. They have no excitement about it. And they can find all kinds of excuses why they can't make time to read their Bibles, spend time in prayer, be faithful in church attendance. And yet Jude is trying to get us to understand that truth and practicing the truth are always riveted together. So confessing the right thing to do is vital if you and I are to live the right way. Here's Paul's instruction to Timothy, slide 24. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Retain, hold on to and follow the standard or the pattern of sound words. That word sounds where we get the word healthy words. Which you have heard from me, Paul says, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And there's that word guard. Observe and obey with great care. Through the Holy Spirit who dwells where? Now, where's the Holy Spirit dwelling? In us. The treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now, look at that again, church. Observe and guard with great care how through the power of the Holy Spirit who, and by the way, that word dwell in the Greek means a permanent indwelling. As I've taught before, when the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you, he doesn't say, well, it's a two-year lease and then I'm going to leave. You're, you're out of luck. That is a permanent settling down. Same word in John 1.14. It's a permanent settling dwell. He will continually permanently dwell in us with the treasure, the treasure that has been entrusted to us. Let's be honest this morning. Let's just come clean with God. What do I treasure more than the scriptures? Jesus says, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be also. So follow anybody long enough and you'll find out what really matters to them most. And you'll know what they really treasure most. The real question is, do we really treasure the scriptures that have been entrusted to us? Think about it. It's been entrusted to us. How are we handling that? That thing that's been entrusted to us. What are we doing with it? Are we digging into it so our lives can be changed and we can be transformed? 
metamorphate into the children of God? I mean, think about a church. The idea here is to be faithful with the doctrines which have been entrusted to you in the Scripture. Hold on to these doctrines. Guard them. Obey them. They've been sacredly entrusted to you. What gets the most time in your home every week? The television or the Word of God? Or the radio? Or the movies? What gets the most time? Be honest, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. I know this is hard to fit in the ears, my father-in-law would say, but I'm just preaching what the text says for all of us. So then, church, it is necessary for you and I to understand that real, authentic Christianity is a real relationship with the person whose name is Jesus Christ. It's not a relationship with some set of ideals. You're not saved because of ideals. You're saved when you come to a saving faith and a person who is Jesus the Christ. And these truths are vital, bedrock to Christianity. They, they are an essential part of a Christian's walk and life. If they are lost or perverted to look like something else, that's what harms the church. These are the truths that Jude is instructing you and I to earnestly fight for and guard. Paul gives a warning here, slide 25, 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4. Paul says if anyone advocates, meaning teaches or instructs, a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, with the doctrine conforming to godliness. This person is conceited, they're proud, they're high-minded, and they understand nothing but they have a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words. Think of some of the cults that Bruce Carter and I have run into. That fits perfectly right there. Out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. Any person who comes to you claiming to have some new word from God to add to the faith that was once for all, as you read in the text, delivered to the church is against sound doctrine. The reason we have a Bible is that God has committed what He wanted said in the writings of Scripture. The, the Word of God was never sent by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. Look at slide 26, 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The literally idea is God breathed out into these human authors what he wanted scripturated and penned for you and I. God commanded the men, the prophets and the apostles, to commit his revealed word in writing for us. We call this the Holy Scriptures. And we are to believe that this Holy Scriptures contain the will of God completely and that everything one must do to be saved is completely taught in the Scriptures. This church is why it is so important for all of us who are true followers of Christ to earnestly contend for the faith. Many devout men of God sacrifice their lives for the truths we hold dear. If you ever get a hold of the book of Fox's Book of Martyrs, you can read some of the in 
incomprehensible things that happened to men that would not deny the faith of Jesus Christ. It's, it's amazing. Consider John's warning. Slide 27, 1 John 4, 3. <clears throat> Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and is now already in the world. So John is sharing with us much of what he shared earlier in chapter 2. And Jude is warning you and I as well. The ones who crept in unnoticed, ungodly men. Who is he speaking of here? He's speaking of the false teachers who infiltrate the church under Satan's power. They talk like Christians, walk like Christians, act like Christians. They knew all the Christianese. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. How you doing? Uh-huh. They come in with nice-sounding strategies. And they have, the, they have this appearance of great zeal. But they come in the church, but only to sabotage it. What do they do? Slide 28. Some of the things that we should be looking for ourselves, based on the scripture. They cause unrest by spreading lies, gossip, and deception. They spew out false doctrines and teachings. They appeal to the flesh. They end up leaving a path of hurt and destruction. They leave many in the church confused. That's what they do. Look out for that. But if those teachers had really possessed the truth, John tells us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. I want to finish up and close out with Revelation 13, 1 through 8. And I don't have a lot of time. Maybe down the road I'm going to do a full, complete teaching on prophecy. But I'm going to give you a little snippet here. This is Revelation chapter 13, 1 through 8. <clears throat> Starting at slide 29. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were the names of blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. Again, the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed to be wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to this beast. 30, slide 30. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. So there you have Satan and the Antichrist. We have the Father and the Son. Who is as great as the beast? They explained. Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months or three and a half years. He spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. He Slandering them all. The beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and every people and every language and every nation. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> and all the people 
who belong to this world worship the beast. Now there's, there's, the, there's the hinge point. All the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. Those, who's, those are the ones whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life, or the, the book of life that belongs to the Lamb was slaughtered before the world was made. So there's a book. The names of those who would not worship the beast, those that belong to Christ, their names are already in the book. That book was not written today or yesterday. It was written before the foundation of the world. Hear me this morning. I know you all want me to go and start preaching on prophecy, don't you? <laughs> the same demonic deception produced by Satan will work to produce the final world ruler who rules as the false Christ, the Antichrist. The beast as revealed in the text. Slide 32. John MacArthur says this. The final satanic world empire will be inseparable from the demonic possessed man who leads it. So you have the father and the son, and you have the beast and the Antichrist. So God the son, think about it. God the son is about redemption. The Antichrist is about enslavement. Where do you stand today? Have, have you come to a saving faith in Christ? So think about that. The Son is about redemption, and yet people are like, I don't want to be a Christian because they have too many rules. They can't do this, and they can't do that, and they can't do this, and they can't do that. And the world says, oh, sleep around, do this, get high, get drunk, don't worry about tomorrow, let's party, you know, uh, enter by that wide gate. Everybody's going that way. Don't go by the stenos, the, the, the narrow gate. That's what's going on, church. We are living in the last days. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see it. 